There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. storm of misinformation is coming. Malicious interference, the poisoning of our democratic processes, foreign operators. The only question is, will we be ready? That's not a teaser for a bad Netflix show. That is an editorial from last week's Globe and Mail. It was written, for some reason, by Eric Jardine, assistant professor at Virginia Tech trying to scare the pants off Canadians about what he thinks is likely to happen in our next election. And he's not alone. Our intelligence agencies have been ringing alarm bells about the fake news, foreign bots, hateful trolls, lions and tigers and bears to come, and CSIS now has $750 million in new funding from the federal government in part to fight this. Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale has been waving his club at Facebook, threatening that if they don't clean up their act themselves, government will belly up and do it for them. Democratic Institutions Minister Karina Gould says that she is not satisfied 
that Facebook and others are taking our democracy seriously enough and that all options are on the table in terms of stepping in and regulating them. What a difference a couple of years make. I am absolutely delighted to see Facebook taking a step in the right direction today in addressing the challenges of the digital era and the continued protection of our democratic process. That was Democratic Institutions Minister Karina Gould in 2017 expressing her delight that Facebook was protecting Canada's democratic institutions. She said that as Facebook's guest at an election integrity initiative launched by Facebook. Her host was Kevin Chan, Facebook's Canada policy guy, who had a different job years before that. He used to be a top Liberal Party guy. He was Michael Ignatieff's policy guy. So those are some memories back from when Facebook and Justin Trudeau's Liberals were friends, when it was politically convenient for Justin Trudeau to look like a young, tech-forward friend to Silicon Valley. But today, today it's politically convenient for Justin Trudeau's Liberals to be the sunny alternative to trolls and bots and bears, oh my. Today-ish, it was politically convenient for Michael Wernick, the former clerk of the Privy Council, to imperiously decry the, quote, vomitorium of social media as he bloviated and obfuscated his role in the SNC scandal before he ultimately admitted that he has lost any semblance of nonpartisan impartiality and pissed off. Today, a narrative is being constructed in anticipation of the coming election that Justin stands with real news and Andrew stands with Pepe. So you will forgive me if I am a little bit skeptical about the government's newfound enthusiasm for regulating Facebook. Even though that's exactly what I suggested they should be doing about a year ago. You know what? I have complicated feelings about this. I'm actually not sure what I think they should do. I don't have the data. I don't know what other countries have done. I don't know what has worked, what is possible, and what would just be a horrible intrusion into everybody's free expression uh, which, you know, among other effects, might cost me my livelihood. But Natasha Tusikov knows. She wrote the book on this, Choke Points, Global Private Regulation on the Internet. She is an assistant professor of criminology at York University. And with a topic as complicated as this, with so many roads ahead and so little information about how it ends, you would not expect us to actually arrive at a solution. But we do. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Matthew Adams, Jeremy Kaplan, Emily O'Rourke, Nicholas Kaiser, Ali Burkock, Colin McRae, Alexander Offord, and Danny. My name is Danny. I'm a music maker and educational assistant in Winnipeg. I support Canada Land because it's educative and engaging, and in a format that I appreciate. I place a lot of trust in everything I hear on Canada Land because your only apparent loyalty is to quality journalism. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hi, Natasha. Hi. Are we in the midst of a moral panic? That, that's a good point. I, I think um, certainly we could see some elements of moral panic, but I think we have to remember that we have seen a big shift since 2016. So Cambridge Analytica, Facebook's involvement in sharing, giving, allowing users' data to be used in ways that your users didn't know about, Facebook being found to be rather careless with users' data, uh, Facebook being found by the United Nations to be involved in fomenting a genocide in Myanmar. So we have some very serious situation in regards to social media, and Facebook is the most prominent bad actor. So I think a number of countries that have elections coming up or have recently had elections have been very concerned. Will social media be involved in in kind of facilitating electoral interference? How do we stem the bad ads? We saw that in the U.S. presidential election in 2016. We saw that in the Brexit referendum. And I think Canadian politicians and policymakers are rightly concerned. But what steps are best to address that? That's the big question. How much of this is happening in Canada? I mean, I, I noticed this in the Shattered Mirror report when uh, Ed Greenspawn was suggesting why we needed to bail out the newspapers. And I think that the, the term fake news was used over a dozen times in a country where, like, this is what we do here is keep track of Canadian news. I'm aware of like two or three stories that were like legitimately fake news in that absolutely manufactured initial sense, as Craig Silverman wrote about it for BuzzFeed, of, you know, the Pope has endorsed Donald Trump, kind of just total fabrication, misleading people for an electoral outcome. There's bad news in Canada, but the idea that we would we would put our newspapers on permanent government dependence based on this, this scourge of fake news in Canada, I don't see any. I think it's possible to be incredibly critical of all of Facebook's evils. Like, really, like, they, they really have misled us. They've shown su- such little accountability, but also to be skeptical as to whether or not, like, how big of a problem is this in Canada really? And maybe as an academic, like, is that something that you can quantify? Do we know how big a problem Facebook has been in Canada? No. uh, Certainly I'm not aware of any studies in that area. We have some good research coming out from media and communication scholars in Canada, people like um, uh, Taylor Owen, Dwayne Winsack. But I think 
you know, what the government is looking at more broadly is bigger than the issue of fake news. It's for an election, when you have a lot of political ads, how do you manage that? So are there actors funding political advertisements that are in violation of Canadian law? How do we make sure that social media platforms do have some regulation in that way? We have certain regulations for radios and televisions to monitor and to track who pays for political ads and to make sure that's uh, according to Canadian law. So social media platforms, the government um, would, would argue rightly so, should follow some kinds of rules as well. I think there's a lot of concern. Some of it may be misfounded, but they're looking at the United States and the United Kingdom, as well as you know some other elections uh, around the world, as uh, what to avoid. You know, you look at the United States and you look at what's happening in the UK, and I wonder if there isn't something happening where people don't want to accept that these societies are divided, that people are speaking from very different perspectives and they have legitimate points of conflict with each other where they just don't see eye to eye. And instead our focus goes to, okay, yes, there are foreign actors who will come and identify those points of conflict between us and try to drive a wedge between us, but you can't do that if they don't already exist. There's almost like a wish. What if we're not as divided as Facebook makes us look like? What if this is all some quirk of uh, some Russian troll farm and we can just legislate them out of existence? I don't dispute that these troll farms exist. And, you know, like, I think that maybe their influence has been overblown. I kind of feel like there's always been some interference by foreign actors in the democratic process. And we do have laws about that. And a lot of this is just stemming from an idea that we can kind of just like click our heels together and wake up from this nightmare and be friends again. Whereas it seems kind of like an Occam's razor uh, obviosity to me that we're able to voice our opinions in a way that we weren't before. We were able to mobilize and form groups together. We were able to be nasty to each other in ways that we weren't before. And surprise, 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 democracy can be ugly. Freedom of speech can be ugly. We're fighting with each other. It's not a huge shocker. You know, are we just blaming Facebook and trolls for just human behavior? I think we're in a period right now of a seismic political and social shift in in terms of how we regard social media platforms. Since 2016, I think rightly so, uh, there's been political and public and academic attention and some very good media attention on the systemic problems of social media. So there's been a lot more emphasis on their business models, right? This is a surveillance-based business model. They uh, make money by personalized advertisements, which means a massive data-intensive business model. You have to collect a lot of data, store a lot of data, analyze a lot of data to be able to sell people personal ads. And these are also business models that are fueled on uh, viral clicks. So whether that is a great story, you know, a a beautiful story about a kitten, uh, a heartwarming story about puppies, or whether it's really dark um, conspiracy theories about uh, certain people being behind the Notre Dame Cathedral fire. So in some cases, if we look at the structural problems of this, an ad-based, surveillance-based business model where algorithms fuel some of our worst uh, intentions, our worst beliefs, that's really something where our attention should be focused. So some of the things we're seeing, like you mentioned, we're seeing people capitalize on division where people, people, some people are doing that for profit. They're creating fake news stories about, say, Canada's immigration system. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're driving people towards those stories and they're making money off of it. What I'd be concerned about is organized efforts by people outside of Canada or inside of Canada to peddle deliberately uh, fake 
information in order to stir up violence, to stir up hatred against other groups. There's always going to be people putting their spin on a policy, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's what you'd expect in a, in a democracy, especially during a heated election. I think it's organized efforts to entrench racism, prejudice ideas, and to try and make money off it. I think that's what's most concerning. It's very concerning, and I think that it's something that we endeavor to kind of expose all the time. You say it's a surveillance-based business model. It's also an ignorance-based business model. People didn't know what they were getting into. It feels like people are finally waking up to that. And there is a dialogue finally with Facebook where the public is saying, hey, you've built a a, a divisiveness engine. You've built a hate engine. Uh, We don't want to use this if it's going to be that way. And then Facebook responds, you know, uh, and, and makes changes to their product. Isn't that the way that this should reform? First of all, we're in a situation of monopolies, right? There isn't really a viable alternative for for Facebook. You can go to LinkedIn, but it's not the same type of social media. Instagram's owned by Facebook. So there aren't a lot of alternatives. Part of the problem, too, has been these companies gobble up new companies as soon as they emerge. And a challenge is, too, there's been a lot of pressure on people to learn about their privacy. There's been a lot of emphasis. You as an individual are responsibilized. You've got to read your terms of service agreement. You've got to do that every time it changes. Could be weekly, could be monthly. You've got to do it for all 50 apps and services that you subscribe to. That's a lot of responsibility for people. And there's been really great marketing research, uh, consumer behavior research saying, we don't know what we've signed up to. We don't know these terms of service. We don't fully read them. It's, it's too much. And the other point is these companies, they have tremendous latitude in the rules that they make. Right? They, they can change them at any time. And we can sign up and, uh, under one terms of service, say we like how Instagram treats, say, erotica or, or health images. And then suddenly Instagram can change this terms of service and destroy our entire catalog of art, our, our business. So there's been some really terrible stories of people who sell erotic content um, and their entire business model is based on you know, advertising through Instagram. Instagram changes its terms of service and people are left with nothing. And so I think it's the capriciousness, the arbitrariness, yeah. the, w- the way these companies can change their terms of service that's really concerning. So this is why uh, myself and my co-author, Blaine Haggart from Brock University, are really saying, what's the rule for the state? And not just in you know monitoring everything, but especially in monitoring and controlling violent hate speech for uh, the role of the state in getting rid of the worst excesses of the the illegal content we're seeing online. And what's your conclusion? What is the role for the what can the government do about all this stuff? Well, the, this this is the the question, but definitely governments can legislate. So we've we've been in a situation for the past 30 years where we've talked about free market, where we've talked about if you don't like it, exit, voice and exit. So it's the power of consumers to leave a bad business and to go somewhere else. But we're in a situation now where some of these companies are so big uh, and there's no alternatives, we can't leave. We've also been in a situation where we thought if you shame the company, if you complain to Facebook and say, I don't like the fact that you let white supremacists on, I don't like the fact that you allow uh, violent trolling behavior, uh, that the company would respond. And we've seen Facebook has been really terrible about that. They've not been responsive. If you complain, even if uh, thousands of people complain, Facebook can be really slow to take down terrible toxic content, but they can be really fast about taking down uh, an image of a woman breastfeeding because they they don't like female nipples. So I, I I think some of these things uh, that we've been told that, you know, if you're a good consumer, a responsible consumer, if you um, act uh, against the company and bring forward your your concerns, the company will change. 
and Facebook just hasn't. And we're in a situation now where Facebook has been uh, found by the UN to be uh, responsible for facilitating genocide. Yeah. If we're talking about what government can do, are, are, are there not already a ton of laws that we have that government just isn't using? We have anti-hate speech laws. There's stuff on Facebook every second that violates them. We have anti-harassment laws. Uh, we have laws against death threats. We do have laws against foreign actors um, trying to influence uh, you know, our, our election laws are, are pretty robust, as I understand them. We have libel laws that are not really enforced. We have taxation that doesn't seem to apply to these companies. I mean, wouldn't the obvious place to start just be asking that they abide by the same rules as like any other company? We've got an enforcement problem, definitely. Is this a resourcing problem? Is it uh, a problem where it's a jurisdictional problem? So definitely a, a problem with enforcement. And we do have a problem where uh, we're not in the United States, right? We're a small, uh, wealthy, industrial country, but we're not a very large market. And what kind of effect can we have on U.S.-based tech giants that really prefer uh, a U.S. regulatory framework? So the Privacy Commissioner of Canada has before called out the social media giants and to say, listen, you have to abide by Canadian privacy laws. And in the past, uh, that response has been pretty dismissive. It's been, we're based in the United States, we follow U.S. laws. And part of this is for the government to take this seriously, right? To to call out, to demand, to pass new rules, to actually enforce existing rules for these companies to actually follow the rules in Canada. I think, you know, people who listen to the show regularly who hear me be very critical about these companies and how slow they are to respond to hate and harassment might be surprised to hear me seemingly defending them. I, I, I don't feel defensive of these companies, but I do feel concerned about government getting involved in, in a lot of the ways that have been suggested. I want to try to explore why. I, I, I almost feel like if we look to these companies and say, you are the de facto place where conversation takes place, that's like handing them way too much. That's accepting that they've won a battle that like, you know, they're not a public park. They're a shopping mall. When you lean on a Google about taking money from malicious foreign actors to influence our election. What did they do? They said, okay, we're not going to do political ads at all. Mm -hmm. What happened when Facebook got embarrassed for all the fake news and allowing all this divisive content? They downgraded all news. No law against that. You become too much of a problem. And this place that we've essentially handed the keys and saying you are the place where public discourse happens is, ah, public discourse has gotten too complicated. It's not profitable. Policing this is more expensive. Uh, than it's worth. So we'll, we'll just serve more cat videos. It's a dangerous concession if we just accept that, right? So Google may decide, okay, fine for the, the 2019 election. They're not going to show any election ads. I think that's a terrible problem. And I think that's a, a, a an indication of how little they take their corporate social responsibility in Canada. It cannot be that difficult to monitor effectively political advertising. So they've decided that Canada simply isn't worth it. But then I think we can take a critical look at how else Google operates in Canada? I mean, we're sitting in Toronto. We have sidewalk labs. 
proposing to have a, a smart city. Sidewalk Labs mm-hmm. is a sister company of Google. Maybe then we take a critical look at that and say, well, what if Sidewalk Labs does win this proposal? They do uh, build a smart city and they decide partway through, you know what, we're not in the smart city business anymore. As these companies offer more services, as they build more infrastructure, social media infrastructure, all kinds of smart city infrastructure, I think a really critical question is what happens when they leave? Like what happens when a city as a platform fails, when a company just says, Canada's not good for us anymore, we're going to move to Korea? So that brings us to antitrust. I do have, I think, a legitimate fear that if we basically say you are responsible for policing the content on your network, we're opening up all kinds of issues where essentially now Facebook, which has shown no real ability to be a ethical or competent or responsible social actor is now deciding what's hate speech and what's real news and what's fake news. I'm terrified by that. You know, this news organization exists in some liminal space where we're not the, you know, gold standard masthead of like real news. And I certainly hope we're not in the gutter of the fake news. And I do not hand authority over to some panel at Facebook or some algorithm at Facebook to make that determination of where on their spectrum we should fall. I'm much more comfortable with readers making that decision. So those anxieties aside, what we've done in the past and what governments can do, we break them up. We've done it before. We did it in the Gilded Age. We did it when the movie studios owned the theater and distribution, exhibition, creation. Movies got shittier. They locked out competitors. We broke them up. We, you know, it, it, it worked pretty well. Would that not be a regulatory answer to this before we get into that policing of content. Yeah, so this is what uh, a a number of uh, critical communications scholars say, that before you turn to uh, policing content, you look at the structure, you look at the behavioral issues. So definitely antitrust, Facebook owning WhatsApp, Instagram, you know, breaking those up. So this is what Senator Elizabeth Warren is proposing in the United States. If you want to be a search engine like Google, then you're also not an advertising Mm -hmm. platform. I'm not a a competition lawyer. I don't know exactly how these things work. I've read critiques that, of course, this would be very long, very complex, very, very expensive and, you know, a decade long fight. But this is what governments do. They do break up companies when they become a threat to the free market, when their their negative externalities overwhelm what positives they bring. And nothing said about the the tech industry that this is going to be easy or cheap. These are very difficult questions, and how we approach this is really, really serious. Now, you talked about you don't want Facebook to be a company that makes rules about hate speech. It already is in the worst possible way. It sets these rules privately. It enforces them secretly without accountability. And we're not really sure from moment to moment how uh, Facebook understands hate speech or how YouTube understands violent extremism. So this is a huge problem. Another related problem is that governments around the world have been working in cooperation with these companies through voluntary agreements, so-called voluntary industry-led agreements. And what these really are is they're handshake agreements where, you know, the the Canadian government says, uh, Facebook, we'd like you to do more. We're not going to pass legislation, but we just, we're encouraging you to do more. And maybe we're holding the vague threat of legislation over you. The United Kingdom has done this. The United States has done this. And this is the worst possible way for a state to act. Because as concerned as I am about states being involved in deciding what content is appropriate, if they're going to do this, I want them to do this through democratically accountable ways. I want them to put together public consultation papers. I want there to be bills that we can debate seriously, that people can bring up concerns. And then I want the legislation to be public. 
with my co-author, Blaine Haggart, what we've been talking about is this is the worst of both worlds. We've got secret, unaccountable industry regulation, mm -hmm. and we've got governments doing handshake deals with these big tech companies. I mean, I think about other industries that have come under moral panic fire, be it the movie industry, everyone's getting really scared about what's happening to the youth watching these terrible movies. They come up with the motion picture ratings board. The comic book industry, the comic book code authority, seduction of the innocent, kids are being corrupted by comic books. The electronic ESRB, you know, basically these industries didn't want government to get involved, so they started to police themselves and they came up with some standard. A lot of the problems that you're pointing out, terms of service that nobody reads, terms of service that change, and no consistency over what privacy regulations are. I can imagine that the industry comes up with, with some sort of universally shared set of guidelines and you get like a stamp of compliance. I would have to imagine that they would prefer that to government telling them what to do. Probably. Um, it was very interesting that two weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg in the uh, Washington Post came out and said, we're now in favor of, of government regulation. It's been a horrible two years, two and a half years for Facebook. So it's in some ways, it's not surprising that uh, facing this, this year of scandals or two years of scandals that they're kind of saying, maybe there is a role for government regulation. Maybe we would like someone else to set these rules. So when we enforce those rules, we can at least point to a government actor and say, we're just following what we've been told to do. What some of these companies want is consistency. Different countries adopt different ideas or different conceptions of hate speech, obscenity. It can be difficult, but you're a globally operating actor. You know, if you're a billion dollar company and you have a team of lawyers, you can adapt to a complex regulatory environment. Can, can you? I mean, you, you say that like it's easy, but you're pointing out some of the problems here. And, and okay, so I think that some of their early complaints like, oh, this is a, a totally new thing. It's not like publishing a newspaper or running a TV station. We have you know, millions of, of bits of content, and we can't possibly regulate it. But, of course, they do regulate against pictures of breastfeeding, and they, you won't find hardcore pornography on these platforms, and you won't find ISIS recruitment beheading videos. Intellectual property, they, they've cracked down on piracy in, in effective ways. However, in all of these campaigns, if they miss stuff, then they look ineffective. So they go too far, and a bunch of false positives happen. Vast swaths of expression get kicked off. Our democracy operates on Facebook. And if you trigger the wrong algorithm or, you know, like you're done, it will be an automated solution, you know, or if it's human powered, it will be exploitative labor, you know, mechanical Turk type stuff. You know, the game keeps changing and it's a cat and mouse thing. We just saw it in the Alberta election, a bunch of critics of Jason Kenney and the United Conservative Party had their accounts on Twitter suspended on the eve of the election. Uh, I suspect that somebody figured out how to gamify the report abuse. And this was a measure to deal with harassment, but it became politicized. You know, political speech is free speech. I mean, that's why we have free expression in the first place. I worry about these things. I, I worry about it, too. So um, when we talk about intellectual property rights holders like Gucci, like the Motion Picture Association of America, what they want is content taken down, whether these are sales listings for counterfeit Gucci purses or whether it's the latest Avengers movie that's streaming illegally against co infringement of copyright somewhere. And the idea of choke points is that um, there's these big companies, Google for search and advertising, PayPal, Visa, and uh, MasterCard for finance. And if you can only remove them as actors, if they withdraw their services, then the people offering the content, the bad content or the, doing the bad acts are left without advertising money, are left without money. Now, financial choke points are particularly uh, tough because... 
people need money, right? So if you're selling something, if you're raising donations, and suddenly Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal pull the plug, yes, you can survive on Bitcoin and a few other things, but it's really, really difficult. So intellectual property rights owners were, uh, you know, very innovative in this area, but it's also been used against terrorists. It's been used against uh, child pornographers, uh, if you pull the plug on that. And now we're seeing it being used against hate groups. Uh, white supremacist groups, uh, PayPal um, is being uh, pressured, uh, encouraged in the United States by civil society organizations like Color of Change to just pull the plug. And while this is appealing, right, because then we're, we're stopping violent white supremacist groups from raising money, the problem is that this is really non-transparent. And if PayPal can do this for, against uh, Proud Boys, then it can also do it against Black Lives Matter activists. Part of the issue, I think, is that we assume that these companies are going to continue operating as global networks, as global actors. And maybe they don't. Maybe there are more national rules drawn. Maybe there's more uh, regarding, you know, operating according to Canadian laws. Isn't that hard on the Internet? There's the, the technical aspect of the Internet, which would not be interrupted by this. But, I mean, we, we know Netflix, right, has libraries all over the world. And the Canadian Netflix library is different than the U.S. Netflix library. And I have a VPN. You have a VPN. But none of these solutions are designed for 100% accuracy, yeah. right? For Facebook, if I were on Facebook's board, I'd be concerned about getting most of the violent trolls off, getting most of the white supremacists, most of the extremists off. You're not going to get everyone, but especially if you get the groups that are organized, that are intent on you know, causing violence, intent on hurting other people, and intent on raising money. If you get rid of those people, then you can deal with the rest. What's interesting to me is that, you know, Community standards shift, and as these companies get bigger and more respectable, they start enforcing what they see as community standards. But the whole system of commerce online was really built for porn and, and, and for sex-related products. And it's interesting to see that some of those financial choke points turning their backs on, on that industry that kind of gave birth to them in the first place. Absolutely. And part of this problem is the, uh, the tech industry is extremely uncomfortable with female sexuality. So there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of female nudity that's sexualized, but when it's women selling erotica, making erotica, uh, um, uh, having uh, acting as sex workers, working as sex workers, yes, these, these companies take a very draconian approach. And this is something that sex workers and uh, sex-positive sites have been decrying for years and saying, you know, we were the forerunners, we ad adopted the first websites, we were promoting the first online payment systems. Systems. We are the forerunners of the internet. We've been the really creative, innovative people here, and now we're being completely silenced. We're being kicked off all kinds of sites. Uh, the latest one, I think, was Tumblr. Uh, so Tumblr getting rid of all nudity, all erotica, all sexuality. And it's you have an entire creative class, creative industry, you know, area of workers who are, are just silenced and, and who now have to figure out how to pay using Bitcoin, have to use different peer-to-peer -peer methods. And this is for something that, uh, you know, is legal in many cases. Mm -hmm. You've laid out a bunch of options for us, like a buffet of like, here are all of the different things at our disposal. We can break them up. Uh, we can legislate. We can, we can enforce the laws we already have. I'm not going to ask you to editorialize and say, here's the solution. And I, I take it as a complicated problem. We don't know what the solution is, and it might not be your role to proselytize for a solution. But you do study how this has worked around the world. What has been the most effective combination of these tools so, so far? We're really in the early days. So even though there have been various rules around the world, we're still in the very early days of really effective policing because 
since the 1990s till about uh, the early 2000s with 9-11, it was largely laissez-faire, right? It was largely governments doing hands-off, a lot of industry self-regulation, a lot of user regulation, right, community guidelines. So we're still in the early days of governments taking a, a stronger, more direct approach to regulation. But we can look to countries like Germany. So Germany's passed their social media regulation where uh, companies have to take down violent uh, hate speech within 24 hours. Right. So this has been strongly criticized that 24 hours is, you know, maybe too short, that this may contribute to over policing, mm -hmm. that contents that's satirical news content, maybe documentaries might be taken down. And I think, you know, to take a serious look at laws like that. But before we can consider this kind of buffet of options, we really have to think carefully about how we regulate speech and to remember that all speech is regulated, right? We don't have unfettered speech here in Canada. We do have limits on speech. It's where we want those limits to be placed and who makes the rules. So what I really always come down to is who do we want those rules to be made by? I definitely want industry to be part of the conversation. But when Mark Zuckerberg spoke to the Washington Post and really said, we're ready to be regulated, I see that as very dangerous because because that's a company setting out, these are the parameters around which we'll accept regulation. We're setting the narration of this is what regulation should look like. This is what we'll accept. I really want public, democratically elected, you know, accountable actors to have that conversation and then invite in industry, civil society, academics, lawyers, journalists, everybody. I want to suggest to you that there's a better example than Germany. And uh, it's one that I never thought was going to be a good example because in the early days uh, covering this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was this conception that you can't control this stuff. The internet is made to be laissez-faire. It's made to be wild. Uh, we were wrong about that. There's a country that's been incredibly effective at coming up with a list of what is socially dangerous, mm -hmm. what is socially acceptable, and then finding technological solutions to assert that. And that country, of course, is China. Mm -hmm. And that's a country where you cannot say a lot of things. You can't talk about Tibet. You can't look up Tiananmen Square. Um, now it's moved on to the social sphere. Everybody has a social credit number. And their comments online, they're doing a wonderful job of limiting types of harassment or bad behavior as the, as the state sees it because people have persistent identities. The scourge of anonymous trolling, not the same there. Depends on what you want to what you want to do online. You can do all sorts of horrible things as a Chinese citizen online, but things that the state deems to be bad, people don't do because it follows you. That is the best example in the world so far of a, of a, of a country that is not fettered by very thorny questions of free expression, free speech, and, and, and freedom. Yes, and China is the extreme authoritarian example. It's a non-democratic response. And so um, President Macron of France, when he spoke in November, he talked about um, different models of Internet governance. And he put it really nicely. So uh, he said we have a, a U.S. model. It's a very free um, speech model, commercial, profit-oriented model. We have China. It's a very authoritarian, state-involved model. But those aren't the only two models. And he posited that there can be another model, a third way. And so he talked about the European Union's involvement where there's direct state involvement, but this would be based on human rights. So in direct contrast to a commercial, laissez-faire, free market approach and a very draconian, authoritarian uh, Chinese approach. Facebook and Google are advertising-based. So if there is a dramatic change, say, in the European Union to advertising, that could be a huge hit to their business model. They, they're, they're diversifying in other ways. But if you're looking at it as an economic investor, right, this is a massive risk to their business model. Now, is it likely that we're going to see a... Wait, I don't understand. What is a massive risk to their business model? If, if advertising-based 
if their advertising-based business model were, pro- were put out risk, say if the European Union or the United States changed the way that they could offer ads, that they could target their users to offer these personalized ads, if Facebook and Google were no longer as attractive as digital advertising platforms, then their entire business model is in jeopardy. And that's really interesting because they are you know, billion-dollar companies, but they're billion-dollar companies extremely focused on monetizing users' attention. Rather than aiming regulation at the content itself, is there a way to try to improve things by regulating the ad business itself that Facebook and Google are so reliant on? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we see the general privacy regulation um, in uh, the European Union, the GDPR, and there can be rules that say you can't Uh, collect this type of information on people. You can't store it. You can't identify people by their gender, by anything more uh, specific than their postal code. You can't collect information on what you think people's political affiliation is. That would be it for them, wouldn't it? I mean, that's their whole thing. That is their whole thing. I mean, if we look at surveys, people are incredibly uncomfortable and they strongly oppose this type of targeted behavioral advertising. They want, of course, the free services, the email, the social networking, the search, but they don't want to pay with their personal data. So absolutely, we can pass rules. There would be a fierce objection to this. But if we look at the type of data that's being collected, this is what fuels the entire industry. If that were uh, more strictly regulated, if you eliminate the granular level data that is collected, then absolutely, you change the entire business model. I mean, that is like a maximalist privacy protection regulation that you're suggesting there. That, that seems like it cuts to the heart of it. Or right now they're saying, please regulate us because we just want to go back to doing yes. business without being you know, yes. public enemy number one. Yeah. But this would be like destroying a business model that has reaped you know, hundreds of billions of dollars for them and you know, just destroyed my industry. But you know, whatever you could in just one fell swoop say – can't collect that data. Yes, or you could say that people have to opt in, right? So if you're that person who wants... Um, Didn't we, though? Didn't we opt in? Well, actually, it's everything set to public, and you have to opt in to private. Uh-huh. And then, and then, of course, our data has been collected in ways that we don't know about and we never consented to. And, and you know, even just this morning, Facebook's breach of 1.5 million emails that they, oops, didn't mean to collect. But if we change this advertising-based business model, we could... We could address the toxicity. We could address the exploitation of this surveillance-based economy. That's interesting. I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with the argument as to why it's in the public's interest to have their data collected. And, and I mean, I guess it's better to have ads that are relevant to me than not, but it's not really that big a deal in my life. I know? mean, if we're, if we're weighing, you know, the online toxicity and contributing to genocides versus finding the perfect pair of shoes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in having better privacy. I mean, this is sci-fi. It's never going to happen because there's billions and billions of, like, you know, this is exactly what they don't want to have happen. But I'll, I'll indulge some sci-fi for a minute. I, you know, it's some sort of alternate reality where, like, what if we just paid a couple bucks a month for Facebook as opposed to paying with our, you know, our privacy and they'd have to figure out a different business model and maybe it would just be pay for it. We could pay for our, our social media consumption. We could pay for our search. We could pay for our email. I would, you know, gladly pay to have uh, less harassment and hate speech and violence online. Um, and I'd, I'd pay extra so that there could be some kind of free service for people who couldn't afford it or for uh, for youth. So I, I think switching to this, uh, considering subscription models, thinking about different ways of restricting or outright outlawing advertising-based business models, that's where we start. So if we look at the underlying toxicity and problems with these business models, absolute surveillance, absolute data capture, algorithms that are designed to 
maximize engagement regardless of the content, even if it's the worst toxic content. If we look at that, then we can do a light touch regulation on the content. That is your Canada Land. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. There's a new episode of Oppo this week. People keep your eye on the ball with this coming election. Oppo is how you do that. This episode is produced by Kasia Mihailovich. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do here, if you want to receive ad-free versions of our podcasts, that is a perk that we offer to our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash canadaland. We do rely on your support. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.